The next one that we are going to talk about is uh, my personal non-favorite. We're going to talk about... Fine. Uh, Lay it on me. Okay. What, what are you, what's your problem with Sonia? You seem like you are ready to come to her defense. Uh, of course I am. Part of my problem is that this individual does not seem like she should be one of the final three main defendants of Earth. Like It seems like her, she's more comfortable with like guns and weaponry than she is with hand-to-hand combat. Granted, she proves herself when she fights Kano and is manages to break the neck of a man who is clearly reinforced with some kind of metal. So, I know, and she's so, like, the actress is so spindly in comparison to him. Like, yeah. it's not even, you know, believable, but in the slightest. But anyway, keep going. Yeah. It, it was more of the same problems that, like, people, the, the wrong people seem to be there. Maybe it's because, like, all the good people got used up in the last nine tournaments. <laughs> but, I mean, if you had told me that this, as we said, spindly, this... But it comes across every generation, right? So, like... There should still be, like, the fact that Sonya is the best of this generation. I wasn't a huge fan of that. I was I, I was also, I saw some conflicts that I don't know whether that was just kind of a depth of character or inconsistency of character. I haven't decided where to land on it. Where she is both very serious and seemingly by the book and likes the structure of the military, but is also a complete loose cannon when it comes to anything related to Kano. My biggest problem is probably the fact that the movie doesn't seem to want to do any of the heavy lifting, but it wants to have all of the emotional payoff of just kind of jumping straight to the end. We know that she wants vengeance for her partner because we are told, I want vengeance for my partner. We've never met this partner. No, he's un- or the partner, ungendered, unnamed in the whole canon. We never know. Stick. I think that's kind of cool. I think that it's kind of neat that we don't know anything about this partner and that it's just this, you know, personal vendetta that uh, Sonya has about it. Because it doesn't matter. She wouldn't tell you. <laughs> I suppose. She's also, like, really no-nonsense. She doesn't She doesn't put up with Johnny, which she said is, is a great way for her to respond to his advances and his attempts to be the kind of person that he is and her just rejecting that. But then she becomes this, like... Xena cosplay sex slave to Chang Sung, who seems to have magically come across all of this knowledge about how the rules of this tournament works with regards to consent to combat and things like that. Like she's well, it's Chang Sung's. Uh, oh, you're talking about Sonya Blade comes across all that, all that, um, all the consent to combat rules. Right. Yeah. She okay, just like yeah. all of a sudden is like, no, I don't accept your challenge, and I'm putting the fate of the world. Like she's got no reason to know that this is going to work. Like she's she's able to put a lot of faith into things without having any reason mm. to i think that there's probably some sort of precedent around like martial arts tournament rules in general about accepting a challenge but i don't actually know where that comes from but i think i think we have to give her a little bit more credit in that in that regard she is a a, a martial arts military person mm-hmm. right it's not like some fighting games where there's just a dude from the army and he doesn't actually know anything about hand-to-hand combat when it comes to martial arts. He, yeah. he has, like, his own army training hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. She is a martial artist, so she would know things about kung fu, uh, rules of engagement, and yeah. stuff like that. I, I think it's more that we see so little of her, and we're just told that here is how you, like, react this way to her. Yeah. Not to mention, I, I was really not a fan of how pretty much every other character in the movie interacted with her. It was like, even if I don't buy that she is this strong powerful character stop having everybody fawn over her 
Who fawns, like, other well, than Johnny? J- who... Johnny Cage fawns over her. Mm-hmm. Chang Sung is obsessed with her to the point of potentially putting his victory for the tournament at risk because of it. Like, he's so smitten with the idea of having her around and having her, like, gussied up in a way that's attractive to him. I think we have to put this on pause for a second because we'll come back to this. Maybe I'm just not no, no, understanding. Not, not, not this, sorry. Not the not the actual podcast. I'm, I'm just saying that we'll come back to, like, the motivations behind Sonya Blade and Shang Tsung's weirdness. Okay. All right. And go for it. And then Kano has a aggressive but also, like, very sexual interest in her. I think and, that's just Kano. Like, he would be right, doing that to any woman. Right. But then even Raiden at one point, like, when he's telling everybody about their fates and everything, you know, he's talking to them like people. But then when it comes time to tell Sonya her you know, her fate, he like gets right up close and whispers it into her ear and kind of like chuckles. And I don't, it seemed like everybody was either passively, except for Luke Kang, but a lot of characters just were interested in her sexually and seemed like that was her value to a lot of these characters. Instead of as a, a fellow combatant, there wasn't respect, there was lust. Well, I mean, yeah, that that is totally something that is presented to us. I think the most overt and the easiest case to make is Johnny Cage. Yeah. But the fact that she is just constantly shutting him down is what makes it interesting. It would be cooler if the movie just had it so that everybody accepted her at face value as being, you know, an equal, equally competent combatant. But the fact that they look at her in a sexist way and she overcomes that, I think, is also yeah. more true to life and interesting, right? Sure. It, it did just bother me as well that it's it's also undercut by the fact that I don't buy her as a combatant. Right. So, like, emotionally, I want to respect her in this way, but then when I see it put into action, I'm like, that's how you beat Kano? Yeah. So, did you uh, did you hear that Cameron Diaz was supposed to be Sonya Blade? Which would have been, for me, it would have been even worse. Yeah, I don't really, like... I don't I don't get the point to Cameron Diaz, especially she I mean, neither of these actresses are actual martial artists. Mm-hmm. Um, they're some of the only ones in the in the whole film who aren't actual art martial artists. But the character of Sonya Blade is actually um, inspired by one of the uh, most popular white uh, woman martial artists of all time, which is Cynthia, who is Cynthia Rothrock. Um, who is in... That's a badass name for a martial right? artist. Yeah, I mean, you've got to go into acting in martial arts if you've got a name like that. And she she is a badass, straight up badass. She's in a bunch of really cool movies. And she has a, she comes across very cool, cool, calm, and collected. And so that was the inspiration for Sonya Blade, this blonde American woman with blue eyes who kicks ass um, and is very calm, cool, and collected. Doesn't have... and it, Which is a very military type of, you know, reading, Right. And, you know, the, the, the backstory for Sonya is that her parents are both military. Uh, you know, she's like a military brat who was basically brought up with no kind of attachment to anybody other than this is life. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we fight and we kill people and we avenge deaths. <laughs> and Jax ends up being a character later on in the rest of, you know, the Mortal Kombat franchise. But I think it's interesting how much more, even he's only in it a short while, but he's so much more emotional and emphatic than Sonya Blade is. Like where he says when they're walking through the, or when they're kind of hustling through the Hong Kong weird underground club, and he's like, trust me, Sonya. Like a thing that, you know, you would never say in a military <laughs> operation. And she has that line, uh, I only trust one person and you're you're talking to her. I think a big problem here is that Bridget Wilson, and again, I'm not entirely sure what Cameron Diaz would have done with this. Bridget Wilson's line delivery is not solid. I don't think she really understands what she's supposed to embody in this character. Mm-hmm. The calm, cool, and collected comes out more as kind of like, 
I don't really understand what's happening and I am on a one track mind like I'm a rat going towards that piece of cheese at the end and everything else just doesn't really make sense and she's very reactionary all of the lines that she is given she reacts towards but she doesn't really have a whole lot of meat to her personality in general and I mean I know you've never seen Billy Madison right you've never seen correct yeah yeah. so Bridget Wilson is the the heartthrob in Billy Madison too again 100% one track kind of not a whole lot of meat to this to this actress's character, what she brings to these characters, right? So I, I do think, unfortunately, it was a casting error here. Sonya Blade in the actual, you know, canonical stuff that comes with the video games, like the manuals and stuff like that, is a pretty badass character. You do believe that she's this really successful mercenary. Um, she's got some muscle mass on her, which is always a good thing. Uh, something that would have been cooler if they had picked a, a, an actual martial artist like Cynthia Rothrock. Um, who was probably too old at this point because her kind of peak was 1985. Um, and you know how women actresses have this shelf life that men actors never have to abide by. Yeah, I I, I totally buy that because I, I wanted so much more for her. I wanted to love Sonya Blade, but I just, I could never... I was never given any reason to. So I was, I was, there was this effort coming from me that wasn't, nobody was meeting me halfway with it. Well, yeah. And like a, a fault of a lot of women characters I see being written by men are, is that I don't know how to write a believable woman's personality. So she'll just be very cool. And, you know, she won't say a lot because she'll just be, that's, that's her reserved, angry personality. Yeah. Right. But her, her attitude is all over the map though, because most of the time she is quote, or as you said, she's like calm and cool and collected. But the very first thing that we see her do is barge into a crowded bar and open fire with, like, heavy artillery. Well, but she waits until the other guy shoots first. No, she shoots first. She shoots at him, and he's firing at the crowd. Oh, well... Like well she's she's putting these people in harm's way. She's not trying to come out with a tactical wave. She doesn't clear the building. She doesn't try to no, arrest yeah. him first. She should like definitely clear the building. Yeah. <laughs> like, she, the first thing we see her do is putting other people's lives in danger, but then we're told, no, no, she's totally in control of the situation. Well, I think that that is supposed to... Like, I mean, we're, we are supposed to think that her motivation to get revenge is, you know, over and above even her own, uh, you know, sanity at this point, yeah. right? But we see her losing grip before we see her be calm and cool in the right, first place, yeah. right? Which I think is maybe another thing that if, yeah. if you don't know the character anyway, you, yeah. you're not going to give her that benefit of the doubt. And then one of the worst parts of the movie for me was when, uh, again, she's supposed to be calm, cool, and collected when she gets to the island or wherever yeah, it is that they are. Her, and her she throws her walkie-talkie, which is probably a very expensive piece of military equipment because it just it's not working properly. So rather than deal with the situation, she just Tommy Wiseau bottle throws it. <laughs> well, and, and again, if that was kind of acted as being very frustrated, you know what I mean? Like, I cannot believe that this is the situation that I got myself into. No, it's a temper tantrum. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's unfortunately kind of towing that weird line, which I think is chalked up to bad acting. Sorry, Pete Sampras and Bridget Wilson, who I know her... You, <laughs> big listeners of this podcast (laughs) the other thing because the other inconsistency is uh when goro fights art i don't think we've ever seen sonya talk to art we've never seen them interact with each other like he's he's i believe he is a what do you call it like a compatriot uh like a brother in arms to johnny cage and that they've kind of like come up together in the martial arts scene yeah like they know each other yeah but sonya's seen at this point, Goro kill like dozens of people, but when Art dies, she's really upset has, <laughs> for has she, no visible reason. But she hasn't seen the, them kill anybody kind of on Team Earth, though, right? It's always been those like random monks that Shang Tsung has around and things like that. I guess. Yeah. 
So this is the first time that someone... Well, no, no, because that's that's Goro cleaning house on Team Earth. Like, all the people that we see hitting the rocks, it's, like, human that's after human team, after that's human. That's I not, think so. That's not Shang Tsung's... Those aren't his minion monks? I don't think so. I think that they're... Because all the minion monks have, like, the, the coverings and everything. I just figured they them off when they were fighting. Oh, maybe. So there's a lot of holes here. <laughs> Not entirely but sure. It's just, yeah, like it's again they're doing they're ex they're doing the emotional response without but expecting us to do all the work beforehand without giving us the tools to do so. Like there's no reason for Sonya to be that upset. Yeah, yeah. So as far as the the Wikipedia says, it's just that Artlene is defeated by Goro as well and has his soul taken by Shang Tsung. And then the next line is Sonya worries that they may not win against Goro. So I guess the only you know real indication for why she's so upset about this is that it's kind of like, man, if this guy who was a, a famous fighter, she knows that at least, whereas these other guys who keep falling to him are no names, mm -hmm. right? So maybe this is the first time that she's kind of like shit. Like, oh, like this is yeah, this is real. Like times. I, I know that that guy's famous. I know that he's yeah. a good fighter, and now we're in trouble. All right. Yeah. We still got quite a few characters to go through. So next up, let's well, it's as good a transition as any. Let's talk about dun, 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 Goro. <laughs> Goro in this was both the movie's biggest triumph and also like the biggest reason why they shouldn't have made it in the first place. <laughs> because like I I don't know if this could have been done well practically. And it almost is. Like, it's done better than I could have imagined anybody doing it. Are you talking about the special effects? Yeah, I'm talking about, like, okay. the character design of Goro. Yeah. Because in the games, you know, just picturing the sprite of him, like, it's a really impressive and terrifying... Yeah, scary as hell. ...creature. But then once you slap that onto a person, it's like, well, yeah, I can't imagine how you could have done it better, but this still looks stilted and awful and there's no way to believe it i think that it's it has a lot to do with the fact that he talks and he seems like a normal dude you know what i mean and i know he is like he's just a that's how the people his species looks you know from his yeah. dimension and he's the prince um have you seen shiva by the way the the, the lady goro from uh, i i did watch a trailer for mortal Kombat annihilation yeah and she looks she looks pretty rough yeah she is badass um anyway yeah no i agree and and it's unfortunate I, I, on the one hand i really thought it was pretty impressive how his mouth moves the speaking is really good it's better than friggin hellboy 2 that came out much more recently when it comes to actual uh mouth syncing and everything like that but yeah i can't think of a way that this would have come across as terrifying in the actual filming other than removing his ability to speak and humanizing him really but the problem for me was more in the way that he fights because they do they dance around it pretty well like when goro first gets introduced we see him kicking ass by just seeing people hitting the ground but eventually you do have to have that conversation where you you see him fighting somebody and they do okay working around it but where it's the most kind of like painfully clear that they couldn't do what i'm sure they would have wanted to do is when Goro's fighting Art, and he he picks him up, and it seems like he's building up to this amazing, incredible fatality oh, where he's going to yeah. do something insane, and then he just kind of like yep. clubs him on the head, like he's about to drag okay. him back to a cave to have his way with him. That see now, this is one of those things. This movie is known for its quote tongue in cheek humor. Okay, this is one of those things that I'm not entirely sure if this is a joke or not, because if you've never played Mortal Kombat and you've never had to try to figure out how to do one of these fucking fatalities, you would not be able to relate to this. When you get to the end, and the over voice says, you know, and you've got the, your opponent dazed, right, yeah. and he's spinning around, and the, vo the voiceover says, finish him, that means it wants you to do the fatality, right? And Shang Tsung does that. Yeah. And if you know what you're doing, you can execute 
the correct button mashing in order to get that really awesome fatality where he rips his head off or, uh, you know, blows a kiss and the guy blows up and stuff like that. Awesome, awesome fatalities. If you don't know what you're doing and you fuck up that button movement, guess what he does? Something ridiculous, like hitting him on the head. Just like he does, just like Goro does here in this one, a totally anticlimactic fatality that nobody points out, which I think is really funny. But that's exactly what would have happened if you had screwed up the button entering in the game. Anticlimax, tiny, like, jab in the head and he's dead. Yeah. It's just like Goro's not the one to do that with. It's. I think it's hilarious if they did it on purpose, if though. It, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> that is pretty funny. But it's just because like it wouldn't have been funny if Liu Kang had done it or if if one of our heroes had done it, right? It's so much funnier that it's Goro. It would have been better as like a DVD extra or like a post credit sequence or something. I think because you're, you're taking it so seriously, though. But it would have been like <laughs> how much cooler would it have been if you had figured out a way to have some amazing practical sure. effect where Goro rips Art's head off? That would have been great. But then who would have seen this movie, right? Like the the rating would have gone up. Like there's not yeah. in in general there isn't a lot of violence in this movie when you think of it. Mm-hmm. Better. Right, kind of the most like yeah, the most brutal violence you see is what happens to Scorpion, and he's already a skeleton at that point. Like it's not right. really happening to a person, exactly. Or like, and I was going to say the other like really kind of you know visceral death, I guess, and it's not even visceral is not the right word for it. But the other the other violent death is when Sonya breaks Kano's neck, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the only one where you see something that is real world consequences to you know an actual move fighting move mm-hmm. right all the rest are very stylized martial arts mixed with this fantasy right so yeah you wouldn't have been able to do some amazing uh fatality because the fatalities in mortal Kombat, five-year-old caroline figured out are devastating like they are brutal they're disgusting they're some of the the most fun thing that i've things that i've ever seen in video games at all ever and they only got better as the franchise <laughs> progressed they, I mean, I don't know if they're trying to just top themselves every game now, but mm-hmm. they're just, you know, they still make my stomach turn. I can't, I can't deal with how disgusting they are, um, and I don't think the movie could either. I f- fine, I guess. No, I, th- I think that would be so cool if they did that on purpose, where yeah. where Goro fucked up his buttons. I'll accept that, just because it's easier to swallow than kind of. Well, we got him up here in his arms, and he's got to do something, but this is the only motion that... Because that's how I read it. It was like, this is the only motion that we can figure out how to do with this suit. All right, next person that we are going to talk about is... <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Yeah, that was kind of a confluence yeah. of a couple of things. But next up is Katana. Nice. I think, like, I pretty much already covered everything that I wanted to say about Katana, because she shows up, acts mystical, throws a fight. To, okay, so is her fight with Liu Kang, is that a Mortal Kombat fight that she just throws? Yes. Yeah. All right. That's when, so, th- so that he can advance in the tournament. Yeah. And that's when Shang Tsung is like, shut up. <laughs> Stop giving him. Like, I, I've gotten Reptile to keep you two apart, but for some reason I made it so that you guys would fight each other in the tournament. Just keep n- it down. <laughs> it's like he's the grandpa who's like making sure that they're not making out, you know? Like he comes and knocks on their door every right. so often. Is... Keeps checking to see the door is open. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You get, you kids keep that door open. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's her job, I guess, is to show up and. Well, okay, so for Katana, I'm I'm I don't want to say that that's just her job. She's she obviously has a big stake in this, right? Like her she right. her, so th- her that... family is the she's the heir apparent to the actual uh to the actual emperor, right? Yeah. So to the actual empire, 
Right. And that's where, for, for me, it was strange again, because it was, if Katana is entering this tournament where it's, it's totally legit to just, like, kill people, so it's very high stakes. It's a, it's a mortal combat. In, in fact, it is. <laughs> um, like, would she, Oh, I get it. Would she, I get that she's kind of protected in that, like, she's the Emperor's daughter, right? Like, she's Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy. That means nothing to you, sorry. Nope. Um... So she's she's protected. Nothing really bad can happen to her. But would she not have more to gain from winning the tournament? She would, but I just I think she knows that she can't. I guess. So, okay, so well, I guess we yeah we haven't seen what she's capable of, but we also know that she's thousands of years old and is more than likely a very 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 capable fighter. Right. Like, she could probably beat Liu Kang, so that's why she's holding back and just letting him win. Right. So then, if she can beat Liu Kang, who eventually goes on to win the damn thing, could she not also beat Chang Sung in direct combat? The, this, I'm, I mean, like again, like would there not be more to gain from that for her? Like, would she not have a great? Well, I guess because Chang Sung is aligned with the Emperor, there would be some pretty bad consequences for her if she destroyed the Emperor's. Right, because the movie ends where the Emperor comes back and he's like, "Just kidding, I'm the big boss." <laughs> now you guys have to do right. Like, yeah. so I think Melina, or sorry. Not Melina. Melina is Katana's clone. <laughs> um, real clone, like in the canon, not just a... She is also yeah. the pixel clone. But um, I think that Katana is playing the long game. She's 10,000 years old. She knows that if she lets... Uh, if she just disrupts this nine-year... Or this nine-tournament streak um, enough to let Earth win and settle everything down, then Shang Tsung will be taken care of, and now she can move on to the next phase of her plan. Right? right. She's got... Okay. She's, she's not in a rush. Okay. <laughs> I was intrigued by her, which I guess was the point. She's so pretty. Yeah, every that that was the other Sonya Blade problem. It's everybody's fawning over Sonya Blade, but She's then you got not pretty. Katana over here. I know. And it's, is it a racist thing? Like, what's going on here? Like, they're not on, only the other Asian guys <laughs> into Katana? Like, yeah. very strange. I, maybe it's just like a hierarchy thing. Like, they just acknowledge, like, all right, Liu Kang, you get well, first I guess dibs. Well, Johnny said something gross about her. He was like, <laughs> Probably. when a woman looks at you like that, she means something or something like that. Yeah. Katana should have thrown a, a fan at her at him at that point. Just decapitated him. That is him being kind of like keys to the VIP, but I think that's also him kind well, that's of, it. Like, I, continuing can... to be condescending to Liu Kang, where he's just like, you obviously don't know how to talk to women, so yeah. let me educate you. Well, there's that, and also the idea that I think every single thing that Johnny Cage says is a line from a movie that he's been in. Like, I think he's incapable of coming up with something by himself, right? So I was intrigued by Katana. I was disappointed that I didn't ever see her fight. Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, in order to build and maintain a mythology, you can't have eight fighters of equal standing all kind of be equally capable because then you end up with she is on the rescue squad anymore. later though she's on, the what? she's on the rescue squad later when sonia is tied up and she's one of the friends who comes to that is true to save uh and and she's really you know assert assertive and forceful in that so i thought that do was we ever see cool. her fight anybody though like uh, we see her kind of have her Liu little Kang? exhibition with Liu kang but no i don't think so yeah yeah. I guess they they saved it all for the sequel. Yeah, because she and she she's supposed to have these really cool fans that have blades on them and everything, right? Like she she didn't bring her she didn't bring her gear this time around. <laughs> so Katana seemed like a missed opportunity, but also it was you know it was filling a role and a little understandable and getting the job done. Yeah, I wish that there had been more of her. I found her to be yeah yeah should have been just Katana and Liu Kang. I would have been fine. And then like Johnny Cage could have been a tertiary character in the background. <laughs> so let's move on to. Uh, oh, wait, wait. There's one more thing I wanted to say about Katana. Yeah. Did you know that there was supposed to be a love story between Katana and Liu Kang? No, there wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I definitely felt that there was. Well, there was a whole scripted part where they actually, you know, like, consummate this love story. Oh. No, not that overtly. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> where they actually act upon this love story. They just yell Mortal Kombat during the climax. <laughs> <laughs> but they Cardinal say Com- they say each other's names in that voice though <laughs> they introduce each Katana. other as they're about to finish luke finish yeah. her <laughs> ah! oh god there we go it's come full circle um podcast over forever that's the end of netflix uh anyway uh yeah so there was this whole scripted part where they actually you know fall in love blah 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 um and then they cut it and i'm so freaking glad that they cut it because yeah there's this overtone that lucane is uh, interested in her but really when you actually watch that closely other than the fact that she's this gorgeous mysterious princess who like who wouldn't be looking at her that way i think sonya's character is looking at her the same way like everybody's kind of mystified by this mysterious character and it's johnny that's more like you know i have a year hard up for a date or whatever and lucane's like what are you talking about and johnny's like you know she's ten thousand years old forget about her and lucane's like who cares but i'm when you really watch that scene i don't think lucane is like who cares i'll date her anyway he's like none of this has anything to do with anything she's trying to lead us out of this catacomb (laughs) like who cares means shut up i don't mean that let's try to get to safety so i'm really glad that they cut that that love story i'm really glad that there aren't aren't any love stories in this like aren't any stupid thrown in romantic overtones um that needed to be you know wheedled out all all of the characters are independent yeah it doesn't ever become over the top there are hints like there are seeds planted that you know maybe eventually johnny and sonya now that sonya has fulfilled her destiny by killing kano you know maybe i maintain that that's just you know like that adrenaline coming off of something but she literally lets her hair down towards the end and i think that well but that's like part of her like when she's captured yeah 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 i'm just saying at the end when she's got her like feathered out hair and everything and yeah which also i was really mad at when i was watching it this time that they had to have this is should be in the sonya one but whatever i forgot about it um that they had to have that whole like her chained up and everything because she's the woman in this movie and they Uh need to have a slave leia scene right right and so i was angry about that very xena costume yeah but that's also it's in a background of one of the uh yeah of the manual yeah that's what you're gonna say right yeah um yeah so there's like it's in the it's in the manual for the the first game so i didn't realize that she's not in that skimpy costume or anything but um but yeah i'm sure we'll talk about that when we get to there's always such a weird it's such a weird way of implying like uh, some kind of like sexual violation to have when a woman is kidnapped all of a sudden she's wearing a different outfit because you know like did she put it on herself or was it put it on, put on for her like it's so yeah and why so is her hair all feathered out and everything like that yeah, yeah. like she's definitely dressed up for chang sung to yeah. you know, derive pleasure from looking we'll, at her we'll talk about that that's that's we'll get to that when we talk about shang sung speaking of which oh yeah, so Chang Sung is next. It's Shang. Shang. Shang Sung. Uh, so, yeah, you seem like you you have some education to lay on me about what his plan is. Okay, well, I just want to hear, like, what, what do you think what do you think Shang Sung's motivation is to bringing Sonya to this tournament? That's what was so distracting for me, because it seemed like it, it reads most of the way along, like he's just, like, sexually attracted to her. And, like, he, he wants her there at the tournament. And that he's into her because he keeps referring to, oh, my Sonia, my beautiful Sonia. But then when his plan is later revealed that he wants, when he makes that deal with Johnny, that Johnny's allowed to fight Goro so that Shang Tsung can choose who he is going to fight wherever he wants in the tournament final is the deal that they make, right? Yes. Right. So then he picks Sonia. Who I think he sees as the weakest link. Right. Which I totally agree with. Right. (laughs) So is it that he's like, and he's the one who's worked really hard for Sonya to be there. 
So I guess that's kind of his planted person on Team Earth, and I guess that makes sense why she's there. If she doesn't really fit in, she's not the strongest person, because he's got her there so that he can beat her in the final. But then he's also at the mercy of these unspoken or unexplained or not necessarily available to everybody rules that if you challenge somebody, they have to accept it for it to be considered the tournament final. My biggest problem, though, with all of that is what's the point of the tournament if you can just skip everything, <laughs> right? Like, why Why does Johnny have that capability? Why does he have the ability to... I know. Like, like it, what is the seeding of this tournament? Exactly. <laughs> like, Liu Kang wins all the way along, and then all of a sudden he's disqualified because Johnny wants to fight Goro. Right. And then Johnny's a straight-up dum-dum for doing that in the first place, which I think is fine because that's his character. It's, it's all bravado and everything. But he agrees to let Shang Tsung fight whoever he wants, wherever he wants, so that Johnny can fight Goro. But Johnny wants to fight Goro so that Earth has a chance to win the tournament. Nobody's making logical decisions here, <laughs> and this tournament makes no sense, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, and we also have to remember that Shang Tsung is the one who shapeshift into Johnny's sensei to and convince him, him into to being go there, and, too. Yeah, so Shang Tsung also wanted Johnny to be there. It's all part of Shang Tsung's plan. So, okay, so yeah, so really it's all about, that's why, okay, now Liu Kang is making more sense, because Liu Kang is all along the one who is supposed to be there. And Shang Tsung is just throwing wrenches into this plan wherever he can, where he's finding people who look like they might be viable contenders for this tournament, but are actually pretty much guaranteed to lose. Right. And gotcha. Because it can't really be a tournament unless he finds all these other people. Um, but I but mean, would it not be up to Raiden to pick Earth's people since he's the protector of Earth? Why is Shang Tsung able to decide who is going to be on the opposite side of the bracket? Well, I think we're like it's pretty obvious that Raiden is incapable of most things. He's kind <laughs> of just like a, a trickster, random, weird. Anyway, we'll get to that later. But um, also, it, like I mean, sh- the reason that Liu Kang is in this tournament is because Shang Tsung uh, killed his brother, right? So in that way, he also precipitated that choice too right and shang Tsung has looked at earth and said you know these are the three people that i think are viable contenders i'm going to bring them on knowing that i will be able to smite them all really easily he has no faith in Liu kang being the the chosen one for his you know because Liu kang is the descendant of kung lao right like the really notable uh shaolin warrior and he warns goro about it at the beginning when he's talking to kano and what do you think about that what do you what do you think about Shang Tsung saying, you know, watch out for Liu Kang. He's the really important one that we have to be careful about. And then Johnny says, what's so great about you? And and Liu Kang's like, I don't know. I never love when, you know, destiny is the reason for things. Because I'm, I'm more of <laughs> the camp you will of... hate martial arts movies. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so much more of the camp of kind of like you, you choose your own destiny and you, you know, you, you make whatever of yourself you want to make of yourself. And I mean, maybe that's just a, that's of our time is that, you know... We, we like to think that we don't put too much stock into... Well, that's a very North American, yeah, like American like dream thing. Breeding too. and legacy that, you know, you forge your own destiny and things like that. You're not necessarily tied to the greatness or lack thereof of your ancestry. So I just kind of reject that offhand whenever I see it. That's exactly that's, the opposite of what's going on in Chinese culture. Right. <laughs> um, so, again... This movie's not designed for me because I don't know how to read things that way yet. But I I guess it makes sense because Liu Kang seems to be the only one who's actually there to defend the Earth that wasn't brought there. So I guess, yeah, I I think I answered your question in that how I thought about the scene was I was like, anybody can win this. Right. Not really wanting to give any credence to the idea of there being a chosen one. or. So I think that 
and I like this is completely just me interpreting this movie. There might be lots of people who have interpreted it differently with much more evidence. But I think that Cheng Sun knows that Liu Kang is overhearing this conversation between Goro and Kano. And when Cheng Sun says, now we got to watch out, there's this kid here, Liu Kang, and you know, you got to be careful about him and you got to be careful about Katana and all this, right? And that's when Johnny's like, what? What's so great about you? Because this is all news to Liu Kang that he's this kind of like chosen one or whatever, right? Right. And my reasoning for him trying to plant this seed. He's like trying to get into Johnny's head. He's trying to get into Johnny's head. He's trying to, you know, make that, that little like group kind of weirded out about what's going to, that their fate is predestined, like you're saying, mm-hmm. right? And he's also trying to get into Goro's head where Goro is like, well, then I better avoid Liu Kang if I can. He, he says something like, I, I'm not going to worry about it or something, right? But I think Goro is a lot more, a lot happier about being challenged by Johnny Cage, who he sees as a complete schmuck mm-hmm. versus Liu Kang, who has, um, you know, the the background that uh, Shang Tsung worried, uh, warned him about, yeah. right? So I think that there's there's some yeah, because layers I, here. Because once Johnny does that challenge, it doesn't matter who wins that fight. Like, if Goro wins or Johnny Ex- wins. Except for Goro, right? Like, Goro wants to win. <laughs> right, no, I'm saying for Shang Tsung, it doesn't matter who wins. No, no, it, Because Shang Tsung's already gotten what he wants. Like, right. at that point, the tournament's completely thrown out the window because now Shang Tsung has the ability to do whatever he wants, yep. except for actually what he wants. Right, because exactly. Because there's this mystical rule about not being able to accept challenges. Oy. <laughs> Which I don't think is a mystical rule. I think that's really just, like, part of part of the culture that they're right. they're accepting. Yeah, and you, and you do see Katana kind of explain that off and say, like, the the Emperor recognizes that, you know, Mortal Kombat won't count if it's won by treachery. Right, and another thing you have to remember, too, is, like, why don't these people all just invade Earth and, you know, take it right. by so force there are with clearly, their... Right, so there are clearly rules, and there's... Yeah. there's, there's decorum you know, they have to follow in the right. Mortal Kombat. Um, and that's what they agree to when they get on that boat, which I think is hilarious. Can you imagine being approached and being like, yeah, um, come to this tournament. It's in Hong Kong. Uh, we're going to get on this fucking boat. Oh, they don't tell them about the boat. They just find out. No, no, about they the do. Boat. They, uh, uh, oh, yes, 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 yes. You're going to get on a boat and it's going to take on you across 40 the or whatever. Yeah. And Johnny's like, okay, like, no, I'll fly. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going on a boat to Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, no, obviously, they, they go to Hong Kong to get on a boat to go to what they think is an island is what it is. They're told go to because they catch that boat in Hong Kong. They all meet up in Hong Kong where they're going to catch the boat. Oh, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Okay, good. I thought they were leaving from no, New York. No, it's not like, it's, yeah, it's not saying, okay, you're in Los Angeles, catch a yeah, boat Los to Angeles. Hong Kong. Yeah, that's what I thought. No. And I was like, why would anybody <laughs> no, agree I thought, to this? I thought about that too. I was like, that's a really long journey. No, wait. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because that makes way more sense. Yeah. This is very much like a... But wait, where, so wait, the, we, we just don't see them traveling to Hong Kong. We just, the next scene, they're in Hong Kong and... Yeah, they're all meeting, they're all converging gotcha. in Hong Kong. Okay, that makes yeah. way more sense. Or Sonya's already there just chasing Kano onto a boat. Right, right, right. Okay, so yeah, I do have to give Shang Tsung a bit more credit. I think so. I think that that's that's my feel free to at me on Twitter and yeah. tell me what I'm doing wrong here. But it it just bothers me that he's got so much control over who he's going up against. Like the only there's only one viable contender, and then he gets to choose from everybody else. Like, why would you not choose? Well, like, I mean, that six is... elderly people to yeah. fight against. Like they're. I think there's like an element of actually wanting to have some sort of challenge too, right? Like it's 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 all of an honor system too, right? Like it can't be a complete bulldoze. But on the other hand, Shang Tsung is evil, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going to be he 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 doesn't want it to be a complete bulldoze, but he's also evil and he's rigging it to his right. Expectation, so he, right? he's doing a great job of kind of maintaining enough of an illusion that these are great fighters, yeah, without actually having the greatest fighters there, yeah, cause which makes a, the whole movie a lot easier to swallow. Because that's that has been my problem 
with Johnny and with Sonia that was like, you don't belong here. Yeah. But yeah, you don't belong here. Yeah. But it's... But that's why you're here. But you're passable. Yeah. And that's and that's maybe why Sonia... I mean, like, there's a huge difference between Sonia and Shengli in uh, Street Fighter, say, um, who is... An incredible warrior, right? Like it's there's there's no doubt that she knows how to handle her own. But there's a huge difference between the tournaments in Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, where Street Fighter, though M Bison, the guy who's running the tournament, is still shifty. He's not pure evil sorcerer shifty. You know what I mean? Right. Like this is not a tournament of different dimensions trying to gain control over an entire planet. So there's definitely going to be you have to you have to kind of throw a lot out the window when you're mm-hmm. when you're dealing with the Mortal Kombat universe. My absolute favorite thing about Shang Tsung, or at least the way that he presents himself, is when everybody shows up for the tournament in the first place and they have this huge feast. Right. And everybody sits down to the feast and immediately nobody's had a chance to eat. And then he's like, and now for a demonstration. And they flip the I tables know, they, over and just waste all this food. such a mess. <laughs> Who's cleaning up this mess? The monks, I guess. Uh. It's poor monks. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then that leaves us with... Wait, oh, did you fuck. know yep. that Shang Tsung was uh, inspired by Lo Pan from Big Trouble in Little China? Was he? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> bringing it back. That's right. To the undiscoverable episode. That's right. That never happened. Perfect. Uh, okay, we got two more characters left to go. Even though he doesn't really do much of anything, we're going to talk about... I loved Raiden <laughs> because he's garbage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Such a great, terrible character in this movie that just does a wonderful job of of kind of understanding the tone of the thing and how seriously not to take itself. For one thing, Christopher Lambert, when he's wearing that wig, looks Are like David... Are you saying it like Lambert? Yeah. Like- with not without pronouncing the T. Yeah, he's French. He's American. He's from New York. No. Yeah. I don't believe this. I I do because he plays Connor McCloud, and uh, and I looked it up today because I was like, does he have any like Scots ancestry at all? Yeah, he's from Great Neck, New York. Really, that's disgusting. <laughs> because even when he's being Scottish, he's got this French accent. No fucking way. No, no, he's very. Okay, is an American-born French actor. Oh, yeah, because his name is Christophe Guy Denis Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Okay, fine. Okay. So I've always said Lambert. Because okay, can we call him Christophe Lambert then? <laughs> uh, no, we can only call him Christophe Guy Denis Lambert. <laughs> can we do the rest of the podcast Jesus Christ. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to say Lambert. Okay. So uh, when he's wearing that wig, he looks a lot like David Boreanaz in a wig. I don't know what it was, but just that that association happened and they needed it to be told. Second, the fact that there is a French-Chinese thunder god is amazing to me. He's supposed to be looking over all of, if not Earth, then at least China. If not China, at least this one Shaolin temple. And he's so French. And they make no bones about it. And that is amazing to me that they just do not give a fuck about okay, so his he's accent. A, he's a French-American white guy playing this Chinese god of thunder. <laughs> Ancient, ancient Chinese God of Thunder, but I'm going to throw another layer of ridiculousness on that. Why was Christophe Lambert cast in this movie? I don't know. Because... You have an answer, okay. Because he is coming off of the fame of playing a Scottish Highlander, Connor McLeod from the Clan McLeod. Right. He is He's world using- famous. He's a, box office, a big box office draw at this point. Because of that. The, so he's, he's there's using, already three Highlander films that he was the star of. So he's using his <laughs> Connor McLeod to get himself a video game movie. Yes. Amazing. Very That's good. so good. Connor McLeod. 
And okay, so no, not only is he using that, but I'm pretty sure like the movie is oh, using movie, that because he gets top billing in the movie. Yeah. It's yeah. so good. What made me appreciate his casting even more than that is from watching the trailer for Mortal Kombat Annihilation and seeing who he was recast by, which is James, I think it's pronounced Remar, um, the dad from Dexter, mm. and who plays it as a straight-up American, which is even better. And then later he shaves his head off and he said, how do you feel about my new look? Like, it's it's done oh. so much even worse that you, like, lose what little legitimacy and mysticism you had oh i see it oh that's awful yeah why didn't they just why can't they just get i mean i know why i'm not stupid but why is why can't the chinese you just god get... of thunder not played by a chinese american actor oh man like this... why isn't it why isn't it like because why so, isn't it low pan yeah why isn't it the guy who plays low pan so um this is another character that was in, directly inspired by like the in the video game was directly inspired by um a character from big trouble in little china uh, thunder right yeah the god of thunder yeah down to the the straw hat uh, the other thing i loved about so uh, he's he's both set up as the most powerful character in this world <laughs> and but, he does but nothing. absolutely useless it's like uh it's like gandalf right right like, you get the feeling that there's maybe these rules that prevent him from being too involved so he just kind of sits back and chuckles at himself the whole oh, time my favorite part my favorite part is when Liu kang is like why didn't you stop him from killing my brother and he's like why didn't you <laughs> Because one of us... What does that mean? One of us was across the ocean. Exactly. The other one is an omnipotent (laughs) thunder god. Like, use the same scale here, man. No, and that's kind of when... Because I I didn't... The first time I watched this, I had... You know, I did not care about any of these characters on any level other than I was like, oh, cool, the video game. And now I'm watching this and I'm like... I I started Googling. This was another one of my Google search entries where I was like, was Raiden always kind of a dick? Like, is that his normal characterization where he's just kind of mischievous and you know when he's like always laughing and and elbowing people or and then and then apologize he's like oh sorry you know like is is that just is is he like a trickster god or i i saw him as like a really cool you know omnipotent god as you're saying yeah. but it, he really does not come across like that in this movie he does not he's also really showy my favorite scene is when they're in when when he rescues the our trio from the freak show as he calls them <laughs> yeah and then he's like come with me follow me and then he like evaporates into a ball of light and shoots up the ladder yeah follow me follow me in this form that you have no point of reference for <laughs> and then <laughs> when they get back up there and talk to him again he's just back in human form yeah like you're just showing off at that point why are you trying to impress these three people yeah well no i think he's just kind of a dick that's what i'm saying like i don't know when he turned into this dick but he's just kind of a dick uh. um in the mortal Kombat manual where it says legal status he's got my favorite one <laughs> legal status mystic does not apply <laughs> and I, that's exactly how this character comes across he has you know he does not care he's chaotic good or chaotic neutral maybe where he's he's on Earth's side because that's his role he's the mm-hmm. protector but he doesn't really care about how that you know protector yeah, gets done yeah he cares in that like he obviously has a vested interest but he's also kind of like well if it doesn't happen this time it was bound to happen it's almost like a Kind of like a later Doctor Who cynicism, where like the doc. Do you watch Doctor Who? Well, I mean, the idea is he's kind of self-appointed as the protector of the earth. He's got a special place in his heart for humans, but he's also he's not a human. 
Doctor Who is not a No, Hugh. he's an alien. Doctor Hugh is what? He's an alien? Yeah, he's huh. a time traveling alien that he's befriended humans and they're he's like the last of his kind. Like there's this race of time traveling. What a weird movie. I mean show. Series. It's bizarre. Yeah. But you you have that kind of uh like self appointed protector, but also deeply cynical about the whole process and just kind of like, hey, que sera, sera, and just having right. fun with the whole interaction, even when everybody else is fighting for the right to exist. There's other movies like that too, where like it's, uh, I mean, like you said, Gandalf. Like there are lots of times in The Lord of the Rings where Gandalf is kind of like, you know, I'm involved in this, but at the same time, at some point, this is all going to shit anyway, and I don't know when it's going to happen, yeah. so maybe it's now. But in Lord of the Rings, like, I understand. In, in, in The Return of the King, he gives that really, like, anti-pep speech to Mary, where he's like, you know, eventually good stuff ends. And then they go into battle, and I'm like, that wasn't a pep talk? Like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? But yeah, he's just kind of, yeah, he knows that that's what's yeah. going to happen. My, my understanding with Gandalf is that specifically he actually belongs to, like, a higher class of, like, gods, and there are rules about how involved they're allowed to right, be. Yeah. So I, I think that it's probably the same thing happening here, that there's these this mythology where there's these politics happening behind the scenes about, you know, what's acceptable, what's not, kind of the rules of, of decency, and there's these godly gentlemen's agreements about about what you can and can't do in Which, these tournaments. Which, I mean, that's, like, even the Greek gods had that, right? Like, that's a really old, I mean, not not that I'm saying that Chinese folklore is not as old, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a well... Well-documented yeah. set of rules. It's just fun, the way that Raiden plays it. Yeah, it is fun. I do wish that it wasn't Christopher Lambert, though. <laughs> I wish it was someone else. And I understand why they picked him. I understand they wanted his clout. Um, just like Street Fighter got Raul Julia and Jean-Claude Van Damme. But both of those castings make more sense to me than Christopher Lambert does. Mm-hmm. Raiden does. All right, and that leaves us with our de facto protagonist. So I think we've, you know, by by the nature of talking about a lot of other characters, we've ended up talking a lot about Liu Kang and kind of what his journey is. All roads lead to Liu Kang. Except he, the only person who doesn't seem to understand the greatness of Liu Kang is Liu Kang. Aww. And you have that line that I think is supposed to be funny, where the monks that's, are like... That's such a bad sign. <laughs> Well, think, because the monks are like, why are you fighting oh, for... Yeah. Why are you fighting in this tournament? Why do you want to be here? He's like to avenge my brother, and they're like, and he's like, oh yeah, and uh, I forgot, and uh, yeah, we're fighting for the fate of the world. Yeah, like, uh, the delivery is not good. No, it's not perfect. Drop the ball. Yeah, Robin Shoe. Um, I was con- I was confused about why he was the chosen one, but then we we got to the point. Um, so they're they're very dicey on it in the film itself, right? Like they don't they don't make a huge. Uh, show of who Kung Lao is or anything like that, right? No, not at yeah. all. I just kind of. I, I assumed when I heard it later in the movie that I had been told earlier and that I had forgotten about it. Um, the the neat thing that I like, though, is uh, I, I only recently saw the movie Enter the Dragon. I saw it in, uh, in theaters, actually, down at the Highland Cinema. It was a lot of fun to watch it. And uh, Fantastic movie. At first, when I was reading the IMDb, they are like, yeah, this is heavily influenced by it. Uh, Mortal Kombat's heavily influenced by Enter the Dragon. I was like, eh. But the more I think about it, the more they see it's true. You've got three people from around the world who kind of have a mutual respect for each other, joining this tournament, getting there by boat. The Bruce Lee character ends up fighting the person who's hosting the tournament in the end. Um, but my favorite parallel is when, when Johnny is <laughs> being... Uh, possibly racist or maybe just I don't know disrespectful to... I think he's being racist I think he sees this Asian guy and he's like oh you must be the help yeah. and 
where Johnny's being, you know, passively racist towards Liu Kang. I think acutely racist. But right. anyway. I, I don't think it's spiteful. I think it's just kind of that's how he treats people. He's a dick, yeah. Um where he where where Liu Kang then turns around and throws the luggage into the water. You've already you've already covered what happens there. But that ties in really nicely with a scene from Enter the Dragon where Bruce Lee is just kind of being quietly respectful of everybody. And then that one brash loudmouth guy is like, hey, man, you want to fight about it? And then Bruce Lee's like, yeah, sure, let's get on this boat and we'll go over there so that we're out of everybody else's way. And then just kind of like lets the guy float off into the water where it's the same thing. It's the same bit where you have somebody who's being like brash and obnoxious and they get taught a lesson quietly by this person who just puts something into the water to to punish them yeah that's a great parallel good call yeah. um there's a huge difference between the way that robin shu is playing uh Liu kang this kind of like what are you gonna do about it smile that he gives and the way that bruce lee is just very stoic about it and i love robin shu's smile i'm crazy about it the, <laughs> the two times that he really you know gives johnny cage the business and then flashes that smile at him it's just yeah it's 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 such injury to insult yeah and at that point we know that he can back it up and we don't take it seriously and i love that it's great on johnny's part that he just rolls with it where he's like i once again have been called out for being an asshole yeah and i've learned of... not to react to it because this kind of thing happens all the time yeah like instead of reacting and you know fighting Liu kang right there um yeah he's just like well, maybe I've been putting my place. But then mm -hmm. later when uh, Sonya, you know, tells Johnny off for the first time when they're on the boat and Liu Kang comes by and says, oh, another one of your admiring fans, you know, hands yeah. him the business again and then flashes that <laughs> smile. I love it. He's the best. I Yeah. I mean, if anybody's going to be the anchor of the movie, then it makes sense for it to be him. And I think that... But he actually has some personality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Liu Kang, in all the times that I've... You know, any of the games I've played with him has just kind of been that kind of the Ryu character in Street Fighter, which is kind of like the stock protagonist, uh, doesn't really have much of a personality character. Mm -hmm. The way that Robin Chu plays him in the movie, he's got tons of personality. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I also love the fact that they kind of, <laughs> the, the telegram is hilarious, where it's like, brother dead come here or whatever <laughs> grandmother or something um but i really like how when when he goes back to china to see his you know his relatives at the temple and he he stands up to them you know what i mean which kind of shows this like he's made this decision to part ways from this you know these family ties and now he's in america and he's living the life he wants to lead and he's young too he's like 26 or something ridiculous like that mm -hmm. like i said earlier kano's one of the oldest of the regular earth people sonya's 28 or something um but yeah when he goes back and he just says grandfather i thought you were wiser than this like why are you filling my brother's head with the same ridiculous notions as the one you filled my head with as the ones you filled my head with but then that's kind of completely circumvented when he has to go back to his roots in order to win at the end well and i think that that's you, you pointed out that so much of chinese film is is you know these stories are about kind of moving away from your destiny and realizing that, okay, I need to embrace my destiny and come back to it and, mm -hmm. and be who I was always meant to be. And how important your ancestry is. Yeah. But it's, I think the Liu Kang suffers from the same problems as a lot of the other characters and that it we're told about it, but we don't actually see anything. Right. Yeah. Like we, we see him show up and be like, well, now I'm here to reclaim my ancestry or now I'm here. To, like his, yeah. his rejection and his reclaiming scene happen 
simultaneously. Like it's the same thing. We're we're introduced to his culture as he's rejecting it. It's a very strange introduction. And I think it's it's just a time thing. Like you have so many characters that you're trying to do all this stuff to and you're not handing out a manual at the very beginning. Right. And uh yeah, yeah. I I I suppose they do a better job with him than with anybody else, but even with him, I was like why is the guy who and this was probably me failing to just kind of understand that story structure of like going away and coming back and reclaiming it. Like even he was kind of like, why this guy? Why is this guy the big protector of Earth? Like he's somebody who he was raised as a monk for a while. We've never seen him fight. Uh, we later find out that he's, you know, a very capable fighter, but he's gone away. He's been hanging out in America. We're told that he's become kind of like soft and pudgy and complacent. And this is the person who's supposed to save the world. He's just right. He's got to have that redeeming arc, right? Yeah. Which is not at all what happens in the in the video games, um, which I think is another interesting kind of. We had to Americanize this character in order to make him palatable for American audiences. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So having this redemption arc, where he comes back and he's like, "Okay, I'm going to reject this American West Western way of life and embrace my Eastern way of life in order to, or my Eastern ancestry and culture in order to, you know, not only get the revenge that I wanted, but be able to understand that that's not the most important thing in the world, right? Yeah. This revenge. I did also have a question about Liu Kang's brother. <laughs> Why was Shang Tsung fighting Chan in that temple in the first place? So... Because it seemed like Shang Tsung just showed up to... Or, or Chan was, like, challenged him? Like... We get we get the impression that Chan was following in his brother's footsteps, tried to be a defender of the realm or what have you, and fought Shang Tsung. But isn't the whole idea of the tournament to be like that's when we have these battles? You can't just like come to Earth and and fuck around and beat people up. So, my whole interpretation of what Shang Tsung is doing is trying to eliminate the biggest threats in order for him to win the tournament, and then so that they can take over Earth, right? Right. And so, if he is eliminating Chan uh, first. Uh, First off, that's really a lot easier than anything else because he's this young kid. But he also knows that that's the only thing that's going to make Lou come back from his new life <clears throat> and um, and enter the tournament. And the reason that he it's it's like the Return of the King, right? Where uh, Sauron knows that uh, Aragorn exists and he wants to nip that in the bud because if he comes back he will be you know the one true heir to the throne of Gondor and he's the only person who can really fuck shit up for him right um, and that's the same with Shang Tsung so even though Liu Kang is safely you know not involved in any of this he wants to nip that in, in the bud before it gets to the point where he comes back and claims his um, place in, in destiny uh, so he does that by first nipping the other son in the butt Sorry, in the bud, <laughs> nipping him in the bud, and then uh, which then reengages Liu Kang, and then takes care of tries to take care of him in the tournament too, but it goes awry. Okay, so I, I guess that makes sense too because we do. I, I kind of mentioned before that it seemed like uh, Liu Kang was the one who was there because he should be. That's true, but it's also Shang Tsung has orchestrated Liu Kang being there. And he figures if if Liu Kang is going to protect the world anyway, then it might as well be on my terms and in as weakened of a state as I can put him into. Whereas Katana is like, okay, now that you're here, I need to teach make, you how to overcome I need to, this. Yeah, I need to make a man out of you. Yeah, <laughs> right quick. Yeah, in the very limited time that we have available to us, mm-hmm. the story makes a lot more sense after a lot of time working at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like, did did all this come come naturally to you? Like the the full understanding of? Well, I mean, uh, like I have a lot of background with it, with Fair my enough. understanding of the video games and everything, right? And of course, I might be wrong as well, but this is my my interpretation of all this is that yeah. um, rather than wait until Liu Kang kind of comes around himself and is like, okay, I now have to become the fighter that needs to defeat this evil that I'm in direct lineage, you know, of of ascending that throne. Say, Chang Sung is going to get it before it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. It makes for a much more interesting story. And it makes his becoming of the hero that he was always destined to be a lot more intriguing. And instead of, like to me, it really just seemed kind of tacked on at the end. It was like, and by the way, you have a sacred birthright <laughs> that he yeah. kind of discovers at the end. Right, yeah. And and they do talk about that. Raiden talks about it at the beginning in the temple with Liu Kang. Mm-hmm. And then that's what Shang Tsung is warning Goro about. When Goro was talking to Kano, right? I just had no yeah. idea like what a Kunlao was. I thought it was just like oh, I, I thought it was just like his like that. That's his dad or something. Right. It was like this person who has a bit of a a bit of a mystique, right? That this kind of unspoken character. But is that actually a person of importance? Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. cultural. Well, um, it, I mean, in the in the Mortal Kombat universe, definitely, yeah. The, their lineage is prophesied to be the family that can undo the evil of the emperor type of thing. Oh, okay. Right? Um, and uh, and so Liu Kang is the heir to that. You know what would have been interesting to know? That? That. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, like, Kung Lao comes up in other games. Like, he comes sure. up in even Mortal Kombat 2 and everything like that, that you would know that. But this is actually all stuff that the, um, that the movie invented. This is not... Uh, necessarily, I, I'm not sure if it's in Mortal Kombat 2, but it's not in Mortal Kombat 1, is what I'm saying. So Liu Kang's motivation for being in the tournament in Mortal Kombat 1 is not the same um, as what's going on in this movie. Oh. So, yeah. It would have been, uh, you know, had it been more explicit, yes. But at the same time, I do think it was a little on the nose when when, Xiao, uh, when Shang Tsung is talking about it to Goro, when he's warning him. And then how Katana knows about him, too. Because that's why Katana is giving him that look that Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, huh? that Johnny Cage is like, oh, when a woman looks at you like that. But Katana knows who Liu Kang is and knows how important he is. So that that's about it for our, our character summary. Is there, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover? Um, yeah, we talked about the setting, which I wanted to talk about. And then um, I wanted to talk about the music, too, but I can incorporate that into my MVP or whatever. I mean, we covered everything, but I was going to, if we weren't going to do that, I was going to structure it as being like, here are some pros with the movie and here are some cons. And definitely con was how little character development and character backstory you got if you don't already know these things about these characters. And even then, some of the characters that have really cool backstories and have really cool, interesting engagements with other characters are spent so quickly but yeah the my my biggest problem is just that there's not a lot of explication for any of the motivations between the interactions between characters Mm -hmm. if you don't know anything about the mortal Kombat universe yeah yeah but it's nice that it's it's there and it's richer for people who are familiar and we're working within a pretty limited time frame while also trying to pack in as much fan service and as many yeah. characters as possible so it's that love letter that yeah, i, was I don't, about, I don't yeah. know if it could be done any better within those same constraints like I, I i've never watched it but i'm aware that there's the kind of the web series turned tv series that was much grittier and oh i i don't know about this oh okay yeah it started off as a it started off as a trailer that somebody made where they were like look what Mortal Kombat would look like if it was real. And it's like Jax and Sonya sitting there and like looking at a lineup of all the different characters. And uh, like Reptile is actually a guy with like Harlequin disease. 
Oh, and, cool. Yeah. It's, this it's, isn't like a college humor thing or something, is it? No, it's legit, and it got picked up for what? for a web series. It ran for two seasons, I think. Oh, I have to look into this. Yeah. Then there's also like a 90s TV series that was terrible. Hmm. And then there was a cartoon series that was apparently terrible. Um, Understandably. Yeah, it's a rich mythology that I think that this is a reasonable fan letter to, to a casual observer from the outside, but... You know, not being familiar with it, it was. Well, yeah, the script is a script, lot of question marks. Well, yeah, and like the, the script just fails at a lot of places. Like <laughs> it, it fails, it fails characters um, left, right, and center. Where it 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 could have been rewritten into a cooler, more concise, more direct uh, representation of of what they're trying to get at to help people like you. But then also just be better better representations of these or of what are really cool characters with really rich backstories. Like these are not. One of one of my favorite parts about playing this game as a kid was reading the manual from cover to cover. I don't know, you know, if you buy if you buy actual discs of games anymore, if the manuals come with these rich backstory in them that you wouldn't know unless you read the the manual, right? But I remember doing that for so many SNES games, and this was one of my favorites. So there's no lack of wealth to draw on for the people who are writing these scripts. So there's no excuse. Essentially, is what I'm saying. They, they could have they could have done more with this. They had they had way more at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's about that time that we need to assign this movie a rating and an MVP. So, as a reminder, uh, Netflix uses a five star rating. None of this half star crap. One star means you hated it. Two stars means didn't like it. Three stars liked it. Four stars really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. And then I'll also ask you to pick an MVP. So it's something that uh, stood out from the crowd. What did you think? Okay, well, I was going to say that I was I was surprised that it gave it three stars uh, on my Netflix. But that's probably just because I have things like Big Trouble in Little China as five stars, uh, now that I think about it. Yeah, so if, if three is liked it and four is really liked it... I'm not going to give this a five. I'm not going to give it a, a, a loved it. I would have such a hard time talking to you and taking it seriously <laughs> if you did. Okay, because I do, like, I have a lot of love for this movie because of what it represents for me. Sure. Um, having watched it a few times in the past week now, I'm probably hovering around three, and a lot of that is strongly <laughs> pulling me to, like, in the higher range because of the nostalgia that I still have for it. Um I I don't really want to watch this movie again. <laughs> now that I've now that I've watched it a few times and that we've talked about it, I'm really glad that um, we did. I'm really glad that I had this this trip down memory lane. But yeah, a three. That's what about what your MVP? So my MVP, I'm not going to toss you a curveball again. Though during my multiple viewings this week, I wanted to say the soundtrack was my MVP. That's fine because I I really love the soundtrack. Um, and the movie really loves the soundtrack too. The soundtrack is, is used, is used really well. Uh, just the fact that the very beginning of the movie is the Mortal Kombat scream and then it starts in with that techno music. It's fantastic. Can you imagine like being a kid in the theater, just getting so pumped up from that introduction? Um, It's right up there with like, that's, it's that of our generation. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I love the soundtrack for sure. But my MVP is Liu Kang. Uh, Robin Shu is Liu Kang. Like I said, he's, he's so enigmatic and he's so much more... He brings so much more personality to a character that could have been as one-dimensional as Sonya, Sonya Blade if um, if it wasn't Robin Shu that was doing it. Um, all of those lines that he plays off as being really 
understandably jerky to Johnny Cage could have been done in a really kind of more Bruce Lee, like, uh, no real emotion to them. You know what I mean? Like, still biting, but no real emotion. But he has so much more personality and charisma, and I really love that. But he also has the gravity to him where we can actually believe that he has this realization that this is an important thing that's going on. And he's got a, you know, Katana is helping him become, you know, take his rightful place, but also learn those lessons that he has to learn that not only will help him defeat Shang Tsung, but are directly rooted in his Shaolin Mm -hmm. background. Right. Yeah. I really love it. I really love Liu Kang. Uh, He's my favorite character. And yeah, Robin Chu did a fantastic job with him. Uh, My rating that's going into my Netflix profile is two. Oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. No, it's, it's not... It would, what, what is two again? I didn't like it. Oh, okay. Right. That's worse. Then never mind. It's like it's not... Again, like, the, there's so... It, it would have been so much better if I was familiar with the text that it came from. <laughs> so I came into it with, like, very little context for, for any understanding of it. What stood out to me more often than not was just, like, the... What the... the, the, the wait, what the fuck? <laughs> Moments that came up that I... I, I felt like I wasn't necessarily having fun at the right parts of the movie. Right. Like I was I was enjoying when it was terrible more than I was enjoying when it was supposed to be funny and when it was supposed to be engaging. It's it, it's you know, it's it's a competent movie. I don't hate it as much as I thought I did the first time that I tried to watch it. It's not unwatchable. It's just it it doesn't resonate in any way for me. Um I'm certainly glad to have talked about it and to really pick it apart and get a, a richer understanding of it. But also, having a richer understanding of Mortal Kombat doesn't necessarily do a whole lot for me. Oh, that's, like it's, that's so painful. I am hurt as a person right now. I'm uh, hurt. You think you're upset now. Um, so, two stars. Because uh, it, it could have been worse. Like, it's a Paul W.S. Anderson movie, but it could have been an Uwe Boll movie. Because <laughs> like, he's the one who normally does the video game adaptations. So, it, it could have been worse. It, it wouldn't have taken too much to be a whole lot worse, but I don't know how much better it could have gotten. Um, my MVP, and I'm so sorry, is Christopher Lambert because I just thought that the way that he did it was so... It, it was the one thing that was actually entertaining to me fairly consistently because it seemed like he was in a different movie than everybody else. Like he was just... <laughs> he was on a different plane, and I think that plays really well for the character. He's kind of like this... He's outside of it, almost breaking the fourth wall where he's he's having fun on your behalf. And he's the one who recognizes how ridiculous this whole situation is. So that was fun to have him as kind of my guide yeah, that's, through that's everything. Yeah. While also being a snarky French Chinese god. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I, I mean, the only reason that I don't like Christopher Lambert as the choice is that I just think it's obvious that they're doing it to try and cash in on his popularity and that it would have been all of those things that I think are really necessary and I do think that this movie is trying to make fun of itself at a lot of times um, but that they could have done, a, done yeah. that with a, a cool Chinese actor instead I think that's going to be everything for our discussion of Mortal Kombat I, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to walk me through the mythology and, uh, and why I apparently missed out on a big part of my childhood in, right. in not playing this big bloody part so uh yeah thank you very much for thanks for, for having, having this me discussion. it was really fun thanks for making me watch this movie again all right no problem so before we say goodbye for the week is there anywhere that anybody can find you anything that you're working on that people need to know about 
yeah, it'd be great if uh, if someone wants to, um, you know, take me up on some of the theories I have about this movie or fight me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Dizen at D-I-E-Z-Y-N. And um, I accept your challenge. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I guess thank you for having me watch this movie. And Oh, you're welcome, Dylan. <laughs> well, I'm glad that one of us is really excited about it. <laughs> That's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms, starting with Facebook at facebook.com slash netflixpodcast. Over on Tumblr, you can find us at netflixpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can find us on Twitter at netflixpod, where you can also find me at Dylan Clark Moore. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards, like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now that I'll play you out on is the same as last week's. It's called Roundhouse by artist Para Palabras. This is another track from the album Forest City Series Volume 2 from record label A Person Disguised as People. I'll be sure to include proper credit and links in today's episode's show notes. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix Podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog, because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet. Scorpion Sonya Kano 
Sub-Zero, Johnny Cage, Liu Kang. Is that all of them? Mortal Kombat! 